Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Early win in the Granite State. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Nicole Murray on this Tuesday, January 23rd. Glad you could be with us. Here's what we have for you this hour. The tiny New Hampshire town of Dixville Notch kicked off midnight primary voting. All six registered voters cast ballots for Nikki Haley. The Supreme Court is allowing federal agents to remove the razor wire installed along the Rio Grande by state officials in Texas. The Israeli military says 21 of its reserve soldiers were killed today by a rocket propelled grenade fired by Hamas. And taking a vacation without your partner. A lot of times people don't have the same travel interests, even if they are married. Someone might prefer to take international trips. Someone else might prefer to stay closer to home. As couples age, one partner may be in better physical shape and more equipped to take more adventurous vacations while the other might not be. Allison Poli at the Wall Street Journal on a vacation by yourself as a ticket to a great marriage. The Supreme Court is giving the Biden administration federal authority over the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas. That essentially allows Border Patrol agents to cut the razor wire that Texas authorities installed to deter migrants from crossing a 29-mile stretch of the Rio Grande. A lower court have blocked the federal agents from doing so. The court's action restores the Border Patrol's authority while the protracted dispute between the Biden administration and the Republican government of Texas plays out in the lower courts. Texas Governor Greg Abbott on Fox Business. When Biden or the Democrats or whoever gets up and says, well, we need more money to secure the border, you have to look and see what that money is for. It is not to build more wall, to deny illegal access, to uh, crack down on illegal immigration. It actually is to facilitate more illegal immigration into our country. Meanwhile, Senate negotiators are still trying to gain support for a deal on border policy that could open the door for Republican votes to replenish wartime aid for Ukraine. Voters in New Hampshire head to the polls today for the Republican presidential primary. It's now a two-person race, as you know, since only former President Trump and his former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley remain. Despite mounting criminal charges and fierce opposition from old guard Republicans, Trump has built a formidable lead in the Granite State. Here's Haley on the stump. When you hear Trump speak, what's he talking about? Grievances? The past? He's talking about vendettas? Trump is pulling a little more than 54% of the New Hampshire vote, according to an average of recent polls compiled by Real Clear Politics. Haley is averaging just under 37%. Trump during a visit to Laconia. Get out of bed and just get to vote. Grab your neighbor, grab everybody. You gotta, you gotta go out because we have to win by big margins. The tiny town of Dixville Notch held its traditional midnight vote, a kickoff to the state's primary, and handed Haley a small but early victory. History shows the Republican who wins the Granite State's primary often goes on to be the nominee. She won all six votes in Dixville Notch. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' surprise decision to drop out of the GOP presidential primary less than a week after the Iowa caucuses laid bare the challenges he faced in his efforts to topple former President Trump. In-depth analysis from Caroline Vakil, campaign reporter at The Hill. Caroline, take us through it. 
We can say that from the out, even before the outset of his campaign to now, there were a number of sort of missteps and challenges that sort of bedeviled Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Um, but you know, if we look back a year ago, this was a much different picture that we were talking about. I mean, DeSantis was off of a uh, nearly 20-point resounding win in his re-election bid in Florida, and meanwhile, former President Trump's endorsed candidates. Um, had basically struggled in the midterms and, and many of them didn't fare well. Um, but fast forward now, uh, you know, winning an election in Florida or a re-election gubernatorial bid versus trying to uh, win the presidency against a, a former incumbent uh, showed to be no small feat for DeSantis. And after how he uh, polled in Iowa, nearly 30 points behind Trump in Iowa, uh, former governor, uh, the Florida governor dropped out because he could see that there was going to be a very difficult path going forward after Iowa and the fact that he was also polling so lowly in New Hampshire. Jeez, I, I'm thinking back to what uh, the, the high praise he got for management of Florida during COVID, right? He, he was this resounding re-election victory. He was riding so high. Like, what happened? I think there were, you know, strategists will say there were a bunch of different things that happened. Um, I think one clear uh, issue that a lot of strategists talked to me about is the fact that DeSantis never really made a compelling argument for why voters should move to him and, and peel away from Trump. Um, you know, essentially, in some ways, he wanted to move to the right of Trump and, and to sort of out Trump Trump. But he also had to walk this fine line and he didn't, you know, he was a little bit nervous in terms of trying to go after Trump more directly. And by the time he did, it was a little too little too late. Um, we're sort of seeing that kind of happening with former UN ambassador Nikki Haley right now, who has come out swinging a little bit more toward Donald Trump. But again, toward the later end of the GOP primary, and it's kind of raising questions of, is this going to be sort of enough for her to get across the finish line? Mm -hmm. We're speaking with Caroline Vakil, campaign reporter at The Hill. Her story is called How DeSantis Imploded in the GOP Primary. Um, there was, too, to understand, like some sort of outside management firm that was handling things for him that maybe didn't know him so well? So essentially there was his campaign um and then there was also the super PAC supporting him and i think the sort of infighting that we saw news outlets cover um you know between sort of his tallahassee you know group of advisors and then also um you know strategists like jeff Rowe at axiom and sort of that internal um infighting that was taking place um you know also the fact that i think it seemed to be along the way that the campaign and the super PAC may not have been on the same wavelength, which that's sort of one of the problems of, you know, and, and that's sort of a variable that any super PAC and campaign is going to have to sort of grapple with is that because you're not able to legally coordinate um, because the super PAC is independent, you have to kind of hope that you're going to be also working on the same page. And certainly DeSantis' super PAC has sort of tested the limits of what is ethical and um, legal in terms of, uh, you know, that kind of close coordination. But the super PAC was doing so much of the, the work in terms of the ground game in Iowa, hosting him for events in, in Iowa and elsewhere. Um, but obviously those those proved to not really be enough, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, not having a, a clear message about why me and not Trump 
Um, some of the other things that kind of bedeviled him was having multiple resets in July, a couple months yeah. after he launched his campaign, the high cash burn rate that his campaign faced, um, I, I think kind of helped contribute to why we saw this collapse in the end. Thanks, Caroline. Caroline Vakil, campaign reporter at The Hill. If you still have landline phone service, you may have noticed that your monthly bills have been skyrocketing. That's because the FCC no longer regulates copper lines and phone companies are jacking up the price of their service. UMA is an internet home phone service that lets you keep enjoying the safety and peace of mind of a home phone without paying an arm and a leg. In fact, with a one-time purchase of the UMA Tello, you get internet home phone service for free. All you pay are applicable taxes and fees. Unlike mobile phones, UMA has address-based 911, so dispatchers will know exactly where to find you in an emergency. In the event you call 911, UMA can send a text alert to loved ones. UMA even includes a free mobile app so you can take your home number on the go. And don't worry, you can keep your home phone number for a one-time fee or get a new one for free. Setup is easy. It takes less than 10 minutes. Stop paying too much for home phone service. Visit UMA.com slash Gordon Deal today to get a special discount. That's O-O-M-A dot com slash Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Tuesday. Authorities say a man wanted in connection with the fatal shooting of eight people in suburban Chicago has turned up dead hundreds of miles away in Texas, where he apparently took his own life after an encounter with law enforcement. The death of 23-year-old Romeo Nance near the town of Natalia, Texas, about 35 miles southwest of San Antonio, ended a manhunt that began with the slaying of one man and the wounding of another in two Chicago area shootings on Sunday. Joliet Police Chief Bill Evans. I've been a policeman 29 years. Uh, this is probably the worst crime scene I've ever been associated with. The search for that suspect led police to the discovery of two more crime scenes yesterday in Joliet, where seven members of one family were found shot to death in two houses across the street from each other. Police have not released a motive, but police in Joliet believe Nance knew the seven people murdered there. 20 minutes after the hour on This Morning, here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley and former President Donald Trump face off today one-on-one -on -one in the New Hampshire primary for the Republican presidential bid. Both Haley and Trump have been heavy with last-minute campaigning, Trump urging residents to vote. The day that each and every one of you is going to cast the most important vote of your entire life. This is a very, very important vote. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie have all withdrawn from their 2024 presidential campaigns. Number two. The Supreme Court has granted the Biden administration's emergency request to allow border control agents to cut and remove razor wire Texas installed along the U.S.-Mexico border. The highest court voted five to four, arguing that Texas was preventing agents from carrying out their duties. Texas Governor Greg Abbott on Fox News. Trump put in place four policies that led to a secure border. And when Biden came into office, he eliminated those four policies. We can have a president that will impose a secure border. A lower court had blocked the U.S. Border Patrol from removing the wire last month after Abbott implemented this tactic to combat the surge in illegal migrants. Number three. The Biden administration has announced new abortion initiatives after meeting with his task force for reproductive health care access yesterday. The Department of Treasury, Labor, 
and Health and Human Services have issued new guidance to clarify standards. The agency will also support expanded coverage of contraceptives approved by the Food and Drug Administration that will come at no cost under the Affordable Care Act for millions of women nationwide, President Biden during a meeting at the White House. Every single time that decision was put before the people of the state in the ballot in Ohio, Kansas, Michigan, Kentucky, voters have voted to protect reproductive rights. We need these protections in every state because your family to have access to health care should not depend on your zip code. Biden released the news on what would have been the 51st anniversary anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Dylan Stone Miller donated sperm years ago and now recently discovered he is the biological father to 97 kids in six countries. Miller will now be traveling for the next three to four years to connect with his children. It's going to leave a lot more time than that, I think. Uh, how sweet. I, th- I thought two kids was expensive. <laughs> Man, Wow. Thank you, Nicole. Could you travel without your spouse or even without your friends and just take a vacation solo? Spouses have long split up to travel on girls' getaways or guys' weekends. Now solo vacations have become a booming business. Here's Allison Poley at the Wall Street Journal. Allison, what's up here? More married people are taking trips by themselves. And so, of course, people have long split up to go on a girls' getaway or a guys' weekend. But travel companies and advisors say they are seeing more solo vacations from married partners. So this could be anything from a huge bucket list adventure like an African safari to a European getaway. Wow. All right. So clarify, we're, we're bringing friends on this or we're totally just going solo and then, uh, I don't know, meeting up with a, a tour group or just other people on the trip? So... In this case, the solo travel means going without a significant other or partner and often without any friends. So it could be a solo adventure where someone is going backpacking or on a cross-country motorcycle trip, for example. Or it could mean that they are joining a tour group with other people traveling solo and going somewhere, um, often international. Wow. And how do the experts say that this can make your relationship stronger? Well, a lot of times people don't have the same travel interests, even if they are married. Someone might prefer to take international trips. Someone else might prefer to stay closer to home. As couples age, one partner may be in better physical shape and more equipped to take more adventurous vacations while the other might not be. And so travelers who have done this say that if you have a solid relationship, it can strengthen it in because you're seeing the person that you love fulfilled and happy um, and they're doing something that they're interested in. Well, we're speaking with Allison Poley, travel reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Her story is called The Trick to a Great Marriage, Vacation Without Your Partner. Uh, you spoke to this uh, 62-year-old woman from the Bay Area named uh, Lisa Searing. What's, what's she do? What's her story? So she took a trip to France alone for her 60th birthday and is planning another solo trip to Bali this spring. Her husband also likes traveling, but he works very hard during the week, she said, so his idea of a vacation is more of a relaxing getaway. She likes to go, go, go when she's on vacation, and so she finds it easier to travel by herself. And she said, you don't have to schedule anything with another person. And hey, if you want to eat falafel for three meals a day, you can. (laughs) That's a good line. Uh, Are there companies that specialize in this? 
There are. So more travel companies are creating offerings for solo travelers. So in the past, if you were by yourself, you often had to pay more because you're still paying the cost of a full room, for example, and the board, especially if you're going on a cruise. But cruise lines, in some cases, have decreased their rates for solo travelers. And certain travel organizations are creating categories specifically for solo travelers. So Road Scholar, for example, is a nonprofit educational travel organization for seniors. And they've noticed more people, married people, booking their excursions alone. And so they've created hmm. specific categories to cater to those people. Thanks, Allison. Allison Poli, travel reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Your brain's morning workout. You're listening to America's First News this morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending time with us and welcome into Tuesday, January 23. Gordon Deal with Nicole Murray. Some of our top stories and headlines. New Hampshire hosts the first presidential primary today. Supreme Court lets federal agents remove the razor wire installed by Texas on the southern border. Flash flooding in the San Diego area swept away cars, shut down highways and swamped roads. New strikes by the U.S. military on Houthi targets in Yemen. Helping the Sixers beat the Spurs, Joel Embiid scored 70 points last night. American Coco Golf today advanced to the Australian Open semis, and why a Walmart greeter has gone viral on TikTok. That story in about 20 minutes. Vice President Kamala Harris recently previewed what may become a theme of 2024, repeating the word freedom while speaking on The View. Meanwhile, she spoke in Waukesha, Wisconsin yesterday, rallying for abortion rights. It is ours by right. By right. And that includes the freedom to make decisions about one's own body. Insight now from Haston Willis, White House reporter at the Washington Examiner. Haston, your take. Yeah, well, she's done this before, but I, I pegged it to that interview where she really, really um, went off on that. They didn't necessarily ask her about freedom. They talked about uh, the election. In her response, though, she said it a bunch. I'll read the quote. She said, I think most people don't think of it in the context of democracy as much as freedom. She said, the freedom of a woman to make decisions about her own body, the freedom to love who you love openly and with pride, and the freedom to be able to be free from gun violence. So she's made uh, similar statements like that, where she's repeating the word freedom over and over again. She also went on two different tours that both had freedom in the name. One was the Fight for Reproductive Freedoms Tour and the Fight for Our Freedoms College Tour. So clearly uh, she's leading the charge on this. Democrats wanting to use the word freedom as part of their 2024 uh, campaign. I suppose when it uh, comes to her comment regarding guns, the pushback would be, what about the freedom to own a gun? Absolutely. Yeah, that's why this is so interesting to me. I mean, I think the word freedom is something that Republicans have just more aggressively pushed over the years uh, as being the party of freedom and having the freedom to do what you want to do. Yeah, I, I mean, both of these, the freedom to be able to be free from gun violence. If you're a Second Amendment advocate, you're going to say, well, that means she's impinging on my right yeah. uh, and my freedom to actually own a gun, right, to, to buy and own a gun. I mean, that's got to be uh, hand in hand there. And then also, of course, if you're pro-life, uh, the freedom to make decisions about your own body, the, the pro-life person would say, what about the freedom of the unborn baby, obviously, to, yep. to be born. Uh, so there, there's conflicts there, but she's trying to, uh, again, uh, reclaim that word for her party. Does the Democratic Party, in the minds of observers, have credibility when it comes to trying to use the word freedom? <laughs> it depends on who you ask, of course. Um, and I talked to a number of different scholars about this, had, had some really interesting stuff. Uh, some people were kind of annoyed, some of these like college um 
professor types were saying that they uh, were annoyed that Republicans had been associated with the word freedom for so long and were glad to see Republicans trying to take it back. Uh, but obviously there's pushback from that on the other side as well. Uh, I talked to a Republican uh, or a right, right-leaning strategist who talked about uh, that freedom is something that, that rightfully is something associated with the right, whereas Democrats are more associated with the word justice. Hmm. We're speaking with Haston Willis. White House reporter at the Washington Examiner. His story is called Democrats Attempt to Reclaim Freedom, meaning the word, on 2024 campaign trail. Uh, So is this something we'll hear from President Biden? Yeah, I think so. He says freedom uh, sometimes on, uh, you know, on the campaign trail himself. Again, I mean, it's, it's not like Democrats never say the word freedom before. I think they're being more aggressive about it. Something else that's interesting is the uh, the DNC convention will be in Chicago this summer. Uh, they unveiled their logo for that, which is the words DNC 2024 and then three stripes. It goes with like the E and the Biden logo, but also it looks like an American flag, which again, I think kind of goes into this. People, I think, associate the American flag more with Republicans and conservatives. They're more likely to be out there waving flags. So um, again, it's the Democrats trying to uh, maybe take that mantra for themselves. So you'll you'll definitely be hearing this theme more uh, from Harris and from Biden going forward. There was a professor from St. Louis University to talk to who said uh, this has been done before by uh, predecessors of, of Vice President Harris. Yeah, he talked about Franklin Roosevelt, gave what's called the famous uh, Four Freedom speech. And then President John F. Kennedy uh, used freedom a lot in his inauguration address. So uh, the counterpoint to that was this guy named Craig Shirley, who I talked to a good bit. He's a Ronald Reagan biographer and says that it was really the uh, the Goldwater campaign in 64 where he started to see this shift toward conservatives uh, using the word freedom more often. And it's really, I think, been more their word almost since then, since the middle of uh, 1964. But he says it's not going to work as far as Democrats taking it back. He said the U.S. is at peak justice right now, and voters are basically getting sick of it, which is why Democrats are trying to uh, use the word freedom, but he says it won't work. I see. Oh, what about Republican response here? Any Anything so far? Well, uh, I mean, what, what, Charlie, what Charlie said uh, when I asked him about it specifically, I haven't heard uh, anyone uh, specifically call this out or say that, you know, freedom is ours or anything like that. But I think as they keep using it, uh, you might start to hear some people reacting to it and saying, uh, no, Democrats do not stand for freedom. Thanks, Haston. Haston Willis, White House reporter at The Washington Examiner. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Tuesday. It's time now for the mic drop with this morning's Mike Gavin. Good morning. Well, we know it's never been more trendy to drink water with the Stanley Insulated Cup being one of the hottest items in the country right now, flying off store shelves whether they're paid for or not. Police in California say a 23-year-old woman was arrested for grand theft last week after she allegedly made off with 65 of the tumblers filling up a shopping cart without paying for them. Police managed to track down the suspect and found the cups in her car, which are valued at nearly $2,500. Police in the city of Roseville posted about the incident on Facebook and included a warning in the caption, writing, while Stanley quenchers are all the rage, we strongly advise against turning to crime to fulfill your hydration habits. One commenter on the post pointed out that in addition to the trove of cups in the trunk in the front seat, there was also a bright red Stanley Cup in the cup holder, which they hope police also confiscated. Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) These, I I, I presume there's probably um, actual maybe store video of this. 
CCTV or something yeah, like I, that. Yeah, I haven't seen but it, but yeah, I assume this so. stuff is infuriating. Yeah. I, I mean, watching people walk out of the store, yeah. with no regards to paying for it or whatever, knowing right. they're not going to get stopped is infuriating. Right. And just infuriating. Well, not only they're not going to get stopped, but also knowing, like you said, that they are on camera 99% yeah. of the time and people not re- seemingly not still not yeah. realizing that they're on camera all the time. Or just not giving a damn, yeah, feeling yeah, that yeah. The, there's not going to be any kind of prosecution. Yeah, just yeah. infuriating. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you have, uh, a, I think we talked about this, you have a couple of the Stanley Cups oh, in, your, in your house as well. For the love of Pete, yes. <laughs> Kelly's got one. Kendall's got one. They're just obnoxious. Like, let's clear away six other, you know, cups or glasses yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. the cabinet so you can lay this thing down on its side so it fits. Right, yeah, because you know? they're monsters. They're monsters. <laughs> and by this point, we're all familiar with New York City's Pizza Rat and his cousin Bagel Rat, but all that discarded fast food can be bad for your waistline. So now that it's January, at least one rat seems to be making a resolution to get in shape. A Big Apple rodent has gone viral after being filmed trying in vain to run up a down escalator at a subway stop like a big city stairmaster. And with the Rocky theme playing behind Behind him, the rat does finally make it to the top of the steps, but not until a follow-up video. The original video has been watched over seven and a half million times, and plenty of people had jokes, with many comparing the rat's efforts efforts to Sisyphus, the tyrant from Greek mythology, <laughs> who was sentenced by Hades to repeatedly push a boulder up a hill, only for it to roll back down again when he reached the top. Others liken the effort to trying to get ahead of their bills or mm. finding a job. Yeah, yeah. This is this is a good video. Yeah. Um. And and what's impressive is that. So the rat has to climb over or jump over each stair, right? Right, successively, which is what would you say twice as tall as he is yeah, if he's like on that. his hind legs. Not not a big rat, not a very big rat. Right. Okay. So that would be the equivalent of what us having to get over yeah. a 12, uh, 12 foot yeah, high, 10, yeah. 12 foot wall. <laughs> How many times did he do it? Yeah. 30, 40 times? Yeah, it's great, impressive. Great effort. It looked like he was tiring a little bit at the end, I but agree. again, apparently in the follow up video, okay. he, he actually made it eventually, but it didn't look like didn't look great for a little while there. I was a little concerned. He yes, was, was going to get beat by the stairs, I think. It's <laughs> a good story. Thank you, Mike. Ever feel like your finance software just isn't cutting it anymore? I say dump it. Hey, it's Gordon Deal, here to tell you about Ramp. It's the financial software you need to manage your expenses and avoid unnecessary work. You see, Ramp is more than a corporate card. It's a spending management software. It'll save you time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives your finance teams control and insight. You can issue a card to each employee with specific limits and automated expense reports. Ramp will systematically collect receipts and categorize expenses in real time. Just go to ramp.com slash Gordon. No more chasing down receipts or long hours on reports. Businesses using Ramp save an average of 5% in their first year. And now get $250 when you join Ramp. Ramp.com slash Gordon. That's R-A-M-P dot com slash Gordon. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank, members FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. Get $250 when you join Ramp. Ramp.com slash Gordon. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Tuesday. How much caffeine is in your daily coffee or energy drink, and is it dangerous? A third lawsuit against Panera Bread over the chain's caffeinated charged lemonade may have given some folks renewed jitters about whether their go-to energy drink is safe to sip. The latest legal complaint alleges that a 28-year-old Rhode Island athlete had to be hospitalized after drinking two and a half servings of charged lemonade, which can contain up to 390 milligrams of caffeine in a 30-ounce serving. So is 390 milligrams 
a lot of caffeine for one drink. Market Watch broke it down. The FDA, first off, says healthy adults should stick to less than 400 milligrams of caffeine a day. Teens ages 12 to 18 should stay under 100 milligrams. That's about eight cans of Diet Coke or four cups of home-brewed coffee for that adult's interpretation of 400 milligrams. On its website, by the way, Starbucks says a grande or 16-ounce Pike Place roast coffee contains 310 milligrams of caffeine, meaning that with that single drink, you are already almost hitting your daily recommended caffeine limit. Eight minutes in front of the hour on this morning. Once again, here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. The United States has hit Iraqi airline Fly Baghdad and its CEO with sanctions, saying it aided Iran's military wing and its proxy groups in Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. The U.S. Treasury Department says this move comes as its group Hezbollah has carried out a series of missile attacks against U.S. personnel in Iraq and Syria. National National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. Alongside the United States, Australia and the United Kingdom are also placing sanctions on key Hamas officials and facilitators. Fly Baghdad has denied the allegations. Number two. The suspect accused of shooting eight people to death and injuring another in the Chicago area over two days has been found dead. Authorities say 23-year-old Romeo Nance was found miles away from the crime scene and suffered an alleged self-inflicted gunshot wound. Joliet Police Chief Bill Evans. At this time, we do not have any motive. Uh, Obviously, this is an ongoing investigation. We're deeply entrenched in this. Law enforcement discovered seven people dead in two houses Monday afternoon, one of which Nance lived in. Number three. Authorities have identified the two U.S. Navy SEALs who went missing off the coast of Somalia on January 11th. The U.S. Central Command say Navy Special Warfare Operator First Class Christopher J. Chambers and Navy Special Warfare Operator Second Class Nathan Gage Ingram were the two who disappeared while at sea. The two SEALs were attempting to board a ship allegedly carrying Iranian weapons headed to Houthi rebels and are presumed dead. San Diego announced a state of emergency yesterday due to extreme rainfall and flash flooding. Dozens of road shutdowns, power outages, and school closures have been reported. Mayor Todd Gloria had activated its emergency operations center by late afternoon, an eyewitness, an eyewitness of the extreme weather. Start going in the doors, um, but outside was already in the middle part of the window. So I was like, he's going he's gonna to flood. Travel company EasyJet Holidays revealed the top 10 strangest items left in hotel rooms in the past year. Some noteworthy items, a glass eye, a clown costume, an inflatable boat. But the top three, prosthetic limbs, witchcraft paraphernalia, and the first, dentures. Really? How do you forget those? I don't know. I was going to say like a two-year-old bratty child who won't stop yelling. (laughs) You can't can't miss that. That yelling pierces your eardrum. How do you forget your dentures? I forgot. Uh, (laughs) Forgot my kid. (laughs) Screaming kid. Thanks, Nicole. As most of North Louisiana sat under a frigid blanket of ice and snow, one Walmart greeter warmed hearts as he worked through the winter weather. 76-year-old John Terry is a Walmart greeter in Monroe who has captivated millions of TikTok viewers after a post of him went viral. In the video, Terry, who's referred to as Mr. John, talks about his dedication to his job. Rain and see the snow. I'm on the door. I do my job. He says, rain or sleet or snow, I'm on the door. The video posted a week ago has been viewed more than 3 million times. Walmart manager Stacy Martin says people from all over come and shop at the Monroe Walmart just to see Mr. John. 
That'll do it for this hour. For Nicole Murray and Mike Gavin, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.